Welcome to the Upgrade Your Education Business podcast. I'm your host, Samantha. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and I hope that you find this episode useful. If you're new to this podcast, each week I share fluff-free, actionable ideas tailored to education businesses that you can mould to suit your needs. And finally, if you enjoy listening to the podcast, it would mean the world to me if you could leave a review on iTunes or follow and subscribe on whichever platform you choose. Thank you once again for tuning in. Today, I want to discuss some common issues we face when running an education business, and I'm sure this won't be the only one that I dedicate to this. So I'm going to dive straight in, and today I'm going to tackle three things. Number one, how to decide what to offer for free that doesn't trap you in a freemium model. That is where freebies fly off the shelf, but paid services or products don't. Then I'm going to talk about how to make room in your budget if you know you need to invest in, say, a virtual assistant or automation, but feel like you can't afford it. And finally, I'll dedicate a section just for private tutors based on questions that people have asked. So starting off with the freemium model, freebies can be great lead magnets. This is where you offer something for free to potential clients in exchange for something that might help you. And that is probably the most important part of offering freebies. If you're not getting anything out of it, then there's little point. Of course, there are exceptions. Like when schools were closed during lockdown, lots of educators supported parents and children through freebies. But on a normal day, in an ordinary situation and with your business hat on, you need to get something in return for your lead magnet. Notice I've just stopped calling it a freebie because lead magnets don't have to be free. For instance, you could host a webinar a few times a year and charge people a nominal fee to attend. This might be a good moneymaker, but more importantly, by charging that fee, you achieve two things. Firstly, people value it because they've had to invest to take part. Even if it's a small fee, like £5, people are still more likely to take it seriously Because as I mentioned in my last episode about money, money is a tool to communicate. It's not just about what lands in your bank account. And the second thing you achieve is that fair exchange. Remember what I said about making sure you get something in return. In this case, it's money and knowing that you're likely to be getting in front of the right people. These are not only people who would benefit from your service or product, but people who are willing to pay. So when you bring money into it, you can automatically avoid the freemium trap. But what if you want to offer something for free, like a free downloadable? Again, make sure you're getting something in return. Most commonly, people exchange a freebie for an email address. That then leads to the downloaders receiving marketing emails. Email marketing is a useful method that a lot of people either don't consider or don't know how to make it work for them without getting lots of unsubscribes or low open rates. So this topic is on my list of planned episodes. Do take a moment to follow or subscribe so you don't miss it. Now, regardless of whether you charge for this lead magnet or not, the most important thing is that people actually use it or attend it. Otherwise, there's little point in creating it. So I'll share some ideas on what you can do to make sure your lead magnet is effective and that people understand that this is a one-off freebie or something that's cheap. To make sure I don't overwhelm you, I'll share three things that can transform the impact of your lead magnet fast. 
Firstly, when you design it, make sure it gives value, but not too much. Here's what I mean. Imagine that you shared everything you know about a particular topic. It would be so useful for people who use your lead magnet, but would there be any incentive to contact you for more? Probably not, because you've given them everything they need to go at it alone. But on the other end of the spectrum, if you created something vague and generic in the hope that people would contact you, they wouldn't get much value out of the lead magnet. And so they'd be unlikely to believe you could be of value to them. So it's important to find a balance between the two. Add enough for people to gain value, but in a way that makes them feel compelled to get in touch with you for more. And really, if you think about it, you can apply this across the board. For instance, the effort you put into each social media post could be used as a lead magnet since people aren't paying for the content. If you do go for a freebie, it helps to break down the word freemium. It's a combination of free and premium, so it needs to be rich in value in a way that compels people to take the next step that you desire. The second thing you could do is embed what you're selling into the lead magnet. People know that you're a business, so they're not going to feel offended if you try to sell to them while helping them. I know a lot of people feel selling quite uncomfortable, but I think there's nothing wrong with selling if the people you're speaking to want to be sold to. And what a nice way of doing it when you blend it in with helping people for free or for not a lot of money. So let's look at an example. Let's say you're creating a downloadable resource. For a start, things like your logo and website address or email address needs to be consistently visible. But when you have that on each page, it can sometimes just blend into the background and go unnoticed. So you could dedicate parts of the downloadable to pause from teaching them something to talking about the value that this thing you're selling offers. As I discussed in my episode about attracting clients on social media, a great way of framing this sell is to present the benefits of what you offer instead of the features. Let's say you offer a group class or a group program and you record the sessions. Instead of just saying that you record them, you could say sessions are recorded in case you miss them or something along those lines. Another way you can embed your cell into your lead magnet could be by slipping in some language like if you'd like some help, email me at or similar. The third thing to think about is carefully selecting what you offer for free or cheap. It needs to sit well within what you offer to paid clients. For instance, let's say you're a private tutor or a coach and you offer one-to-one and group sessions. If you suddenly offered free sessions to people, it would feel unfair on the people who are paying for your service. Whereas if you offered a free resource pack or an ebook, it would be a good support for the services you already offer and would create a clear distinction between your freebies and your premium services. Alternatively, you could offer a much shorter free or cheap session, more as a taster. Think about the larger companies around you who offer things for free and think about their wording. For instance, a lot of tech companies offer free trials. The word trial makes it clear that you only get it free for a limited time. Also, it's a good idea, in my opinion, to avoid offering too many lead magnets, regardless of whether they're free or cheap. That way, it sets the tone and manages people's expectations. They know that it's a rarity for you. And so naturally, your lead magnet ends up holding much more value. 
So lead magnets can be a great way of attracting paid clients when done right. And don't forget, by offering that high quality taster or sneak peek of what you offer, you might even create a nice ecosystem of referrers. That is, people who have gained so much value from your lead magnet that they recommend you to others. In fact, this happened to me the other day, which is why it popped into my mind. I had a tuition inquiry from a parent who said she'd been recommended by her brother-in-law. When I asked who he was so I could thank him, I realized that he had never been a client. He was just a member of one of my Facebook groups who I'd actually never even interacted with. So don't underestimate the power of freebies, but be selective and strategic when creating them and always have a plan for what you want to happen next. Now moving on to making room in your budget. One thing I'll say is when you're spending money in your business for the first time, it always feels a bit uncomfortable because it's not like we're on this fixed salary. So it's hard to make a call as to when you can actually afford to spend a little more. Of course, there are tangible reasons to say, nope, I can't afford to spend money if the profit you're making is just about covering your bills. But let's say that you're earning an okay amount through your business and you've reached a stage where you need to pay for automation or for someone to join your team, but you're worried that it will eat too much into your profit. I've been in this situation a few times, and the thing that always helps me is this concept of how sometimes you need to slow down to speed up. For example, when I was preparing to launch Upgrade Your Education business, I knew I wouldn't be able to do it justice if I didn't delegate some of the behind the scenes work I do for my tuition business. So before I launched, before I started earning a penny from my new business, I invested in a virtual assistant, which later grew into a team of more people. I also reduced my tuition load just by not replacing one or two students who finished learning with me. It was definitely uncomfortable. I was earning less and spending more. But knowing that it was an investment and a temporary situation helped me hold my nerve. And so the point I'm making here is to have a plan in place. Instead of just feeling like you need to offload some admin because you're too busy, think about it more as an investment. Whether you invest in a person or automation, think about how it may help you earn more, either because the investment itself will or because it will free up time for you to do so. That way, you know that even if you need to, say, borrow money from your savings to slow down, you know you're doing it to speed up. So you can be confident that it's a temporary situation and you'll be able to repay yourself soon enough. The same applies to when you're deciding to invest in professional development or personal development, like a course or some coaching or any other form. I don't let anyone book paid time with me, whether it's one-to-one mentoring or the tutor's mastermind without booking a free call with me first, because whatever form of support you invest in, it has to be right for you. And this is the only way I can make sure it's both right for my new clients and my existing ones. It has to be an investment for them. If it's an investment for them and they have a clear idea of what they want from it, it makes the tutor's mastermind better, which helps me too. So regardless of what situation you're in and what you're thinking about investing in, the crucial element here is it has to be something that leads to you earning more money or business growth or even personal growth. It has to be an investment. Let's say you want to invest in a system that allows you to send automatic invoices, take payments and something that logs everything for your accounts. Ask yourself, will this be an investment? It will certainly save you some time which may make you feel less tired, 
which in turn may afford a better work-life balance, which could then lead to having the headspace to dedicate to business growth ideas. Let's say you want to hire a virtual assistant. Choose what you will delegate to them that will tangibly help you grow your business. And let's say you're looking for professional development through a course, a program, or a coach. Be clear on why you want it, what you want out of it, and don't compromise on either. The key is, don't see spending money as a means of relief from being busy. Treat it as an investment. That mindset will help you feel more comfortable to spend money in or on your business, and it will help you make solid decisions on what you choose to spend your money on. Now, I mentioned at the start of this episode that I would dedicate a section to specific challenges that tutors face. This may be useful even if you aren't a tutor. So I'll share the questions and scenarios that I'm going to discuss and you can decide whether to keep listening. I've based this on questions I've gathered through my Facebook group, Upgrade Your Education Business and others that I'm a member of. Here are the three scenarios or challenges that I'll address. Number one, What to do if you're working with a student who you love teaching and is making amazing progress, but the parent or guardian is hard to work with. And if it weren't for the relationship you have with the student, you would have stopped working with them already. The second thing is how to decide which direction to take your business in when you love your job, but you don't want to keep transacting your time for money. And thirdly, how to navigate the world of working with agencies when it stings to think of them taking a commission from your hour of teaching. Starting with the first scenario, you love working with a student, but not so much with the parent or guardian, and you're not sure whether to keep going despite the stress or whether to stop, even if it feels like you're letting the student down. I actually asked this question in my Facebook group, and here were some of the interesting insights from some of the members. Tracy Landberg from Science Success Club shared that she would arrange a call to go through their expectations and to explore whether they are indeed a good fit and to consider raising their price for the extra time and effort it costs you. Raising prices and communicating this to existing parents can be uncomfortable. So if you struggle with this, take a listen to my last episode dedicated to money. Now, in this situation, Komal Chandarana from First Class Learning is honest with parents and she feeds back how the pressure is overwhelming for the child and that if they don't feel engaged, it will affect their progress. And Victoria Burns from VB Tutoring mentions the importance of trust, which I agree is so important. She says that she communicates in a confident and professional way and takes charge by explaining what their child is learning and why. I think the latter is really important, and it's actually the way I've dealt with this in the past. I remember a parent who kept questioning what I was teaching and trying to direct the content of the lessons. In the end, I quite bluntly but politely pointed out that while it was fine for us to work collaboratively, ultimately, if she's going to pay me, she needs to trust me. Fortunately, she got the point and backed off straight away. However, another time I was teaching a lovely student who was caught between conflicting advice between his parents who were no longer together. They put me in the middle too, as they were giving me conflicting requirements. In the end, I could see how stressful it was getting for me and my student and reluctantly I had to stop working with them. So sometimes as hard as it is, you have to just make that call and prioritise both how it affects you and your student. Now on to my second challenge, deciding where to take your business when you love being a tutor, but you feel like you're transacting your time for money 
and it's not sustainable. We usually get to this point when we're working flat out. I know this isn't always the case, but what usually happens is that we build a nice and full client base, but get exhausted from the workload. When tutors reach this point, they often contemplate group tuition and or creating passive income streams. Now, this is a tough one for me to unpack in a podcast episode because everyone's situations are different, which is why I usually support people through personalized mentoring. But if you're in this situation, here are a couple of thinking points. Firstly, it's worth starting by accurately identifying the issue before you seek solutions. I often get clients telling me that they want to set up a group class. And when I ask them why, they say, because it will give them a higher hourly rate. But they often start the session by saying that their issue is the fact that they're working flat out and need to somehow match their income and reduce their workload. So here, group classes don't really present a solution to that problem. Instead, it just makes the current situation marginally better. And when you think of that outcome, the problem of, I want to earn a higher hourly rate, there are loads of ways you can do that. It doesn't just have to be through group classes. So in that situation of wanting to ease their workload, I ask them questions related to just that. Things like, what work are you doing outside of your teaching hours? And just by interrogating that and streamlining, their problem is already starting to be solved. So be accurate about the issue that you're facing rather than jumping straight to a solution that you think could work. The second thing that's useful is to circle back to your why. Why did you set up your business in the first place? What were you hoping it would bring to your life? What kind of things were you excited and passionate about? When you revisit this, you get clarity. I'll give you an example based on my tuition business. When I set up my business, I wanted the freedom to teach in my own way, focusing on my students' needs instead of being driven by data, results and a scheme of work. I was excited by the prospect of finally having time to publish some books and create great resources to provide affordable support. But you know what? Six years on, I haven't published a single book. I am supporting children the way I intended, but I don't have the time to develop my business in the ways I'd originally planned. I lost sight of this, and in response to having a waiting list, I thought about hiring some tutors. I have backed and forthed with this idea so many times, and when I go back to my why, I know why I can't make up my mind. It's because at no point did I desire getting involved in hiring and all the admin that comes with it. That's not to say I'll never hire tutors because we're allowed to change our minds. Of course we are. But when I think about my initial reasons, I'm still excited by the prospect of publishing books and creating resources. So it makes sense to pour my energy there, at least for now. So by going back to my why, I'm able to make business decisions that give me what I want from my business. In short, instead of just going through logical steps, I'm designing my business. If you've been listening to previous episodes, you'll know that this is at the heart of what I believe in. And if you'd like some ideas on how you can make decisions based on your why, take a listen to episode four. Now on to my third challenge, deciding whether or not to work for agencies when the idea of them taking a commission really stings. Before I was a teacher, I was a full-time business trainer. And even now, I occasionally deliver training and consultancy to corporate companies. And for a good proportion of that time, I've been a contractor or a freelancer. And honestly, this culture of 
being concerned with the commission that an agency takes is alien to me. All I've ever concerned myself is whether I'm happy with my day rate, or for tutors, this would boil down to an hourly rate. I've always known that I could earn more money independently, but I was happy to get less because I didn't have to find clients or do any admin. All I had to do was deliver and get paid. And in fact, in the corporate world, no one even discusses commission. It's just not a thing. So if you're struggling to get clients yourself, or you really don't like the activities that come with running or developing a business, in my view, getting work through agencies is a perfect solution. And yes, they will take commission. And so they should, because you're getting clients off the back of their reputations and reputations don't grow overnight or with no effort. And of course, employing you costs them money and time. So of course, it makes sense that they should take commission. So when you're thinking about working with agencies, my advice would be to have a reasonable expectation of how much you want to get paid, bearing in mind all the things that they're taking care of so that you can teach and get paid. Of course, different agencies will pay different rates and it's worth exploring and comparing or even signing up to multiple agencies. But notice that just now I talked about focusing on the rate that they'll pay you. If, however, the commission that an agency is taking drives your decisions, you will actually miss out the most because regardless of how much they take, they might be offering you a really good rate, which you'll miss out on. As teachers, one of the fundamental principles we learn is to be outcome driven. I'm not talking about results, but I'm talking about navigating through situations based on the outcome you desire. And I think this applies to so many aspects of business and life. And really, it's at the core of a lot of what I've discussed today. For instance, if the outcome you want is to work less and earn more, jumping to group tuition because that's what everyone else seems to be doing or because it feels like the next step doesn't necessarily fulfill your outcome. Wanting to teach and get paid without doing all the work outside of teaching, but refusing to sign up to agencies because you don't like the commission they take, again, isn't fulfilling the outcome you want. As with everything that drives what I talk about, there really is no one solution or one way to do things. And so it's important to try things out until you find what works for you. So I hope today you can walk away with some of those moldable ideas. Next week, I'm sharing a conversation I had with Ilana King from Education Pathfinder, and it's a great episode to end season one on. In this episode, we're focusing on ways to enter the entrance exam tuition market. We specifically address the following questions. Number one, how do you get started in entrance exam tuition, given that it can be a very secretive market? Number two, what are the key things to consider or remember specific to entrance exam tuition? Number three, how do you gain trust among parents when you're just starting out and or don't have results or testimonials yet? And number four, where do you get teaching materials from? So if you're enjoying this, please take a moment to leave a review, follow or subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes.